Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the epistle of 1 John chapter 5. That's where we are today, 1 John chapter 5. Here's the key concept for today. Depend on what you know, not how you feel. Depend on what you know. Let me ask you this question. When you woke up this morning, did you feel saved? How about when you looked at yourself in the mirror for the first time? How about tomorrow morning, Monday morning? Depend on what you know, not how you feel. Christian musical artist Twyla Paris once said in an interview, a big part of Christian maturity is letting God keep you steady to be ruled less and less by your emotions. A man once came to D.L. Moody, a man that Moody understood to be a follower of Jesus Christ. By every evidence, he, he had accepted Christ as his Savior. And the man said, Mr. Moody, I don't feel secure in my salvation. And Moody responded saying, was Noah safe on the ark? The man said, yes. Was he safe because he felt safe or was he safe because of the ark? Today, John is reminding his readers and us that we have safety and security in Jesus in this life and in the life to come, not based on how we feel at any given moment, but based on what we know about our Lord Jesus Christ. In order to do that, he reminds the readers and us of the big themes of this letter. He reminds us that a true believer will believe the truth about Jesus Christ that a true believer will obey the commands of Jesus Christ and will love God and the brothers and sisters in the family of Jesus Christ. He says this is the test when you look at yourself. If you see faith, obedience, and love, you can know that you are His. And so let's read the first five verses of chapter 5. John says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves His child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. This is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The new birth brings you into a new family, the family of God. And as a consequence, we love our Heavenly Father and our spiritual brothers and sisters, 
and also, as a consequence, we obey the will of our Father. And living in obedience to what God has shown us, John calls overcoming the world. Now, he uses that phrase often in this last chapter. We need to remember what he means by world. It is the term that John uses to describe the system that is out there that is working against the purposes of God. It is evidenced by the perverse moral standards in the secular mindset, in the aggressive greed of the material mindset, and the false religions of the heretical mindset, or the persecution that comes in the antichrist mindset. No matter what form this system of thought that is against God comes, John is saying you have the power in Christ to overcome it. Not in the power of your own will, but in the power of Jesus. He goes to great lengths to try to convince us that we have the power. Three times in verses 4 and 5, he uses the phrase, overcomes the world, or something like that. Now, to our ears, it may sound redundant. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It sounds like he's saying the same uh, thing three times, but actually he's not. Uh, In English, it fails us a little bit, but in the original language, Greek that it was written, there's a a flow to his thought. It goes like this, verse 4, those who are born of God have the ability to overcome the world in an ongoing way. Verse 4 again, our faith has overcome the world in a past point in time when you came to know Christ as Savior. Verse 5, who, he who believes in Jesus is overcoming the world even as we speak. So there's a sense to which John is saying, listen, past, present, and future, you have the ability in Christ to overcome the world. That's his point. Whatever assaults you, whatever the world throws at you, you can have the victory. Now, John then anticipates a question. And the question he anticipates is, how do you know this? And his answer is, not because you feel so spiritual. It's because of what you know about Jesus. Look at verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. How can we know that we're overcomers? You know that you're overcomers because of what you know about Jesus Christ. And what you know about Jesus Christ is He came by the water and the blood. But the question is, what does that mean? What is He saying here? What He's referring to in in the water is the baptism of Jesus Christ where in that baptismal moment, it's told us in the Gospels, as Jesus was raised out of the water, the voice of God boomed out over the heavens saying, this is my beloved Son. Matthew chapter 3 tells us the story of that. This is my beloved Son. And the public ministry of Jesus was begun. And He served the Lord faithfully. He's, he, he's testified by water, he's testified then by blood, and the blood refers to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ where his public ministry was culminated. John is saying that 
Jesus was God the Son at His baptism, at His crucifixion, in all points in between, and his, all of His life. His life is a testimony to who He is, and you can depend on Him. The cross was not failure. The cross was fulfillment. And because of what He earned on the cross, we have a new life and a new birth in Him. That's the evidence by which we can know Him. But He goes on to say, and we also have the Spirit. Look at verse 7. End of verse 6. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. What John is telling us there is there are different kinds of corroborating evidence different forms of testimony by which you can know. The firstborn, the the first testimony, the, the water and the blood, is the historical, the objective uh, a fact of the life of Jesus Christ. These are the facts. But there's also a subjective and an experiential aspect to the testimony by which you can know that the message of Christ is true. And that is what the Spirit does within you when you hear the message of Christ. The Spirit of God convinces us of our need for that truth. And then the Spirit of God in an ongoing fashion reassures us of the truth of the message as we learn it, grow in it, and rely on it. It's the work of the Spirit. So there's both an objective way you can know about Jesus and a subjective way which you do know Because none of us comes to Christ by faith because we figured it out. It's not because we are so smart that we finally get it and our dullard neighbors don't know it yet. It's not that. You come to Christ because the Spirit of God brings conviction. The Bible says that without that we are dead in our sins. A dead person is unresponsive. It is the Spirit who comes and by His conviction makes us responsive. And when by faith you turn to Jesus and say yes to His saving work, your faith is the conduit through which the grace of God comes and penetrates your heart. That's the mechanism of salvation. And you can know that both objectively by what Jesus has done and subjectively by what the Spirit has done in you. And all of this brings results. Look at verse 11. And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. There is the summary of the blessings that we give. We gain eternal life. Eternal life is given to us. It is not earned. It is not deserved. It is a gift because of God's grace. And it is yours. And John is saying, do not waver in your joy about eternal life. Never grow embarrassed about your joy regarding the eternal life you have. Nothing in this life is more important than your assurance for the next life. He's saying, look for belief, look for truth, look for obedience. And when you see these things, you can know that you are in Christ. And you can know that there are certain things that are assured for you when you are in Christ. And this is how John ends his letter, this first letter uh, that we call uh, 1 John. From verses 13 on to the end of the chapter, the end of the book, he shows us six things 
for which we have assurance, these are the things you can know that you know. Number one, if you know Christ, you can know that you have eternal life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. There's a very important point he's making, and it is in what he does not say. He doesn't say you can know you will have eternal life. He says you know you do have eternal life. If you know Christ as personal Savior here today, this is what is true of you. You are already living forever. You are already an eternal being. Now that should cause something to happen within. I remind myself every once in a while that one of the things that realization should cause is it should make me more patient. Do you have to be in the front of every line? Do you have to be in the fastest lane on every highway? Do you have to, you know, you just, your, your line in the grocery store need to move faster than the one next door? Slow down. You're going to live forever. <laughs> Slow down. You're an eternal being. You, brothers and sisters, literally have all the time in the world. <laughs> Slow down. But more than that, rejoice. Because the eternal life is in Christ. In Christ. It's His doing. It's His work. It's His gift to us. And we can know that we have it in Him. Secondly, we can know that God hears our prayers. Verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Have you ever said something and a person replied to you, I hear you? When they say that, they're not just saying, yes, there's noise that's going into my ears. They're saying, I get it. I get you. I understand. God hears us in that way. He understands. But He hears our prayers in an even a more profound way. I'll illustrate it this way. When Sylvia and I brought home our first child, our first baby, Allison, um, she was the young, uh, oldest, and we brought her home. Her crib at first was in our room. And we went from being people who could sleep through a thunderstorm and the next morning wake up and say, hey, did it rain? You know, nothing would wake us up. We went from being those kinds of people to people who woke up in an instant by every noise a kid made. And she had an annoying habit of irregular breathing. Now, she'd breathe for a while, and then she'd kind of pause. And it was the pause that woke us both up. We're like, what's wrong with the kid? She's not breathing. Finally, I said, look, you've got to take that kid out of here. She's got to go. She's got to go into her own room, right? Because this is ridiculous. Did it get any better? No. Why not? Because I had this big, fat baby monitor right next to my bed, right? Now it's amplified on steroids, and every sound that kid made, Sylvia was throwing off the covers and running into the room, right? She was hearing. That's the kind of listening that God does to our prayers. It's not kind of ho-hum, whatever, casual. It is active listening. And that leads us to the next thing we can know. You can know that He answers those prayers. Verse 15, and if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, 
we know that we have what we asked of Him. Wow. You take that verse out of context, and it sounds like you now have a superpower. I can get everything I want. I can ask, and I'm going to get it. This is better than a genie. It's not just three. It's a series. Ask, get, ask, get. Taken out of context, it seems like that. Read in context, there are some things we need to understand. There's some qualifications. Qualification number one, we should read it as we will have what we ask. In other words, part of your prayer life is waiting upon God for His timing. You will have, but it doesn't happen immediately. Prayer is not some cosmic gumball machine where you put a coin in the top and it falls right out. Prayer is pleading with God to initiate and work out His plan, and His plan takes time to develop. So when you pray, pray with patience. Number two, qualification is embedded in verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask according to His will. In other words, we should be praying what God would want for us. Jesus said this in John 15, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Why? He can say that because if you remain in Him and His words are, are working in you, what you wish for will be His will. Wouldn't it be foolish to pray for things that are not the will of God? Wouldn't it be foolish to have a prayer life that sounded like, God, I know you're not going to like this. I know you're not going to want this, but let me tell you, this is what I want. And then pray for something opposite of God's will. It would like, it'd be like saying, God... I know better. I know best. And I'm glad to know that you work for me. But that's not how it is. God loves us more than we know. God knows more than we know. He's able to, to deliver more than we can imagine. So when we pray, not only do we pray by, in patience, we pray by faith, asking for His will to be done. And sometimes it is not the way we would want it to go. I read a story about a woman named Mary. Mary had a son who was arrested for a crime he did commit. He was getting, getting ready to be sentenced and most likely was going to jail. And Mary uh, asked her circle of friends in her church, the prayer chain, everybody, to pray that her son wouldn't have to go to jail, prison. She, wa she didn't want him to go. It was breaking her heart what he was going through. But he went to prison. And there in prison, her son met a man who was a believer in Jesus Christ. That inmate Christian witnessed to her son and brought him to know Christ as his personal Savior. Her son got involved in a Bible study for prison fellowship, Bible study inside that prison, and gradually he became a different man. He went through drug treatment. And at the writing of the story, Mary was saying that now he has been drug-free, free from prison, employed in a good job, and a follower of Jesus Christ for two years at the time of his writing. And it took exactly what she was praying against. Pray for the will of God. See, what appeared to be down was really the way up. So we pray with patience and we pray with faith. And we know that God hears us and He responds. And then John says something in 16 and 17, which is meant 
to be an example that would clear all this up in your mind. Let's look at it. He says, if anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. Is that clear? Is that helpful in any way? He means it to be clear, and he means it to be helpful, but here again, uh, we're not, ex- you know, we, the, the, the interpretation kind of is difficult. And down through the ages, there basically have been two interpretations of what John is saying here. There is a bottom line that is very clear, but the example that he's using is a little vague. One interpretation is this. In verse 16, when his, his says, he says, brother, we should take that to mean neighbor. So in other words, not necessarily a person who knows Christ as personal Savior, and that the sin that leads to death would be in that setting the rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So John is saying in that interpretation, don't pray that God's going to change the rules of salvation for your friends. Rather, pray that your friends be saved. The other line of interpretation is that, no, he is talking about a believer, but he's talking about a believer who has, is sinning so egregiously that God is going to take him home so that the witness is not ruined. God does that. We've seen it in Acts chapter 5 and Ananias and Sapphira. We see it in 1 Corinthians. Paul talks about those of you who are making a mockery of communion. God has removed some of those people. So he's saying in that interpretation, don't pray that God's going to change His mind in those situations and be lenient. Down through the ages, 50-50 in terms of which is the, is the detail of what he's saying here regarding the interpretation. But the basic point is absolutely the same, and that is don't pray against God's will, pray for God's will. But there's a fourth thing that you can know. You can know that you have the power for purity. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin, but the one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. He's not saying that you will never sin as a believer, but he's saying that you have a new nature in Christ, and Christ helps you to reject that which used to come naturally to you, and that is the system of the world and the sin that it brings. If a pig falls in the mud, he loves the mud. That's his nature. If a sheep falls into the mud, he wants to get out as soon as possible. He has a different nature. You have a different nature. And Jesus will help you live out this new nature. The fifth thing you can know is that you can know that you are on mission for God. Verse 19, and we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, I've just read that to you in the New International Version, but that is not a good translation. The ESV, English Standard Standard Version, is better because the word children does not appear in this text. It doesn't say we are children of God. We know we are from God. That's what he's saying. We are from God. In other words, we are here on a mission. We are from God here representing a new kingdom. All of us who know Christ as Savior, you are on mission for God, representing a different kingdom. You can know that. You must know that. And the sixth thing you can know 
you can know that your Savior helps your spiritual understanding. Verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. You can know that the Savior helps you understand spiritual things. You can't believe what you don't understand. And the Spirit of God and and Jesus Himself helps us to grasp what is necessary for us to understand so that we may believe and gain assurance. All of these things, these are things that you can know that you know as you are in the family of God. And finally, he signs off. And he signs off this way. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Flee idolatry. Now, at first glance, it looks like that doesn't fit. He's going along with all these things that we can know in Jesus Christ, and then he just kind of throws in flee idolatry. Now, the Roman Empire was filled with statues of idols, filled with all kinds of false worship. But I want you to remember that John has been speaking about a specific idol throughout this entire letter. And that specific idol is a false idea about Jesus, a wrong idea about Jesus. He's saying this, any explanation about Jesus and in, in relationship to the Heavenly Father and the mission He came on, any explanation on that that is not the same as Jesus explained about Himself, that is an idol. That is a false God. Flee that. And they had plenty of idols in their day, and we have idols in our day. And the idol in our day is the belief that we can decide for ourselves who God is and in a sense recreate God in the image that we prefer. That I can take ideas from this religion and a bit, bit, bit of that faith, this philosophy, a little smattering of this, a little bit of Oprah, put it all together, and I create my own private religion that goes along exactly with what I wanted to say according to my own preferences. This is true for me. That is idolatry. It is today's idolatry. It's just as much idolatry as if you went into your backyard and you began to worship a rock there. And John is saying, flee that. It is not enlightenment. It is darkness. Flee idolatry because what we have in Christ is wonderfully better. What we have in Christ is absolutely true. And what we have in Christ is something of which we can be assured, not by what we feel, but by what we know in Him. Let's pray together. Lord, forgive us for the times that the idols of our age seem to attract. Forgive us for the moments when the emotions that we feel would divert us. Lord, what we want is what You have for us. We want to understand You the way that You have told us about Yourself. And we want to say yes to that which is true. Help us do that, we pray. Because we love You. And we know You love us. As Jesus, You died for us, and we thank You for that. Help us to love You back. In Your name we pray. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together. Jesus paid it all.
In a moment, we're going to leave this place, some to classes, others to the affairs of the day. But maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know, I do need prayer. There is an issue for which I need help, a direction, a decision, something that's going on. We have prayer counselors next to the organ by the prayer table. You can slip forward and they will pray with and for you in just a moment. But before we do that, let's all pray together. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we are yours. Thank you that we can trust you and we know you. In the week ahead, Lord Jesus, we'll have a chance to represent you. So help us in the words we say and the choices we make, in the actions that we take, to demonstrate the fact that we are the property of Jesus and we represent a different kingdom. Help us do that, we pray. In your name we ask it. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming.